Welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Joining me tonight in the speakeasy is an audiobook aficionado, someone who remembers, as I do, when audiobooks used to be on cassette tapes. If you don't know what a cassette tape is, just Google Compact Cassette. He's also a fellow podcaster and is currently the host of the Talking Audiobooks podcast. Casey Trowbridge, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Rich, I'm glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this one for a very, very long time. So have I, Casey. So what are you drinking tonight? Um, I have a bottle of water, which is standard issue for me whenever I talk, but I also have a mug of hot chocolate because it's really cold up here. I understand that you live in a rather cold part of the country. Yeah, uh, cold in the winter, hot in the summer up here in South Dakota. So, um, we get all kinds of weather, most of it bad. <laughs> well, I, I totally understand the, uh, the choice of hot chocolate in that kind of a climate. Not nearly as cold here, although it is technically winter. I think we got up to about 75 here in Tucson today. So uh, I am having a daiquiri, but not a um, not what a lot of people think of when they think of a daiquiri, which is a some kind of frozen concoction that's put into a blender. I'm I've got an original recipe daiquiri, which you find on the uh, International Bartenders Association page, which is basically just white rum, lime juice, and a little bit of sugar. Well. You know, when you say the temperature is 75, I just want to encourage you and everybody out there that might be in a similar climate, when you go outside, make sure you pack plenty of warm blankets and bottled water in your cars (laughs) so that if anything happens, you're ready for the harsh climate. Just in case, right. All right. Well, cheers, Casey. Thanks for coming to the speakeasy. Cheers. All right. So, excuse me. So, Casey, where are you from? What was uh, life like growing up? Well, I'm originally from Huron, South Dakota, which is a town in the center part of the state that has a population of about 14,000, just to give your listeners a little bit of an idea. Um, generally, growing up was pretty, you know, normal. I'm visually impaired. That's probably something that if your listeners haven't heard my podcast before, that's probably thing one that they should know is that I'm visually impaired. I have no vision in my right eye. My right eye never formed. uh, It never developed when I was born. So I was basically born with only my left eye, which never fully developed. And so uh, I had some vision in my left eye, but that has deteriorated over the years to the point now where I basically have no functional vision whatsoever. So audiobooks for me were... Um, sort of part of my life going back to childhood in the 80s when, you know, they were just becoming commercially available, but they'd been available for the blind and visually impaired for decades by that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I remember actually I was working at a bank at the time and uh, my, one of the people that I was working with said, uh, you know, I've just been listening to this book and I'm like, what are you talking about? This was uh, probably... 86, 87, sometime around then. And I think that was just when they were becoming 
semi-popular, I'm not sure if popular is the right word, but at least semi-popular in the commercial sector, I didn't realize that they had been available for the visually impaired for decades before that. Yeah, you know, there's an interesting book that some of your listeners might want to check out. It's called The Untold Story of the Talking Book by Matthew Rubrary, and he basically charts the whole evolution from the beginnings of audiobooks to today and uh, sort of the different forms they were available in, like uh, cassettes you mentioned, but before that uh, on records and, and things of that nature. But just even talking about some of the attitudes that people used to hold uh, back in the day when audiobooks first started coming out in the 30s, uh, for the blind and visually impaired community. A lot of it was done uh, as a result of what happened in World War I, where a lot of soldiers would came back, you know, having lost their vision. And so Congress sort of wanted to do something that would uh, allow them to have access to to books. And wow. so that's how that kind of got started. That that sounds really and, fascinating. Actually, I think I'm going to look that book up um, because that's, that's something where you're in an industry. It, it's not like you have to know the history, but holy cow, it's nice to. Yeah. The book is just over a year old, so it hasn't been out that long, but uh, I think it's a really interesting read. I was hope I was hoping to listen to it again before I came on the show, but uh, time was not on my side. Yeah, no, no worries there. But that's uh, thanks for for mentioning that. I'm sure that that will be of interest to uh, to many people. So you said you grew up in Huron, uh, and is that where you are now? Are you still living yep. close to where you grew up? Yep. Um, I have lived in South Dakota my whole life and lived in Huron for most of it. The one exception is I went to uh, college for a few years, and I lived in a town called Aberdeen, which is a little bit bigger, probably in the 20,000, 25,000 range for population. Went to uh, the, the name of my college was Northern State University. I didn't graduate, but uh, I spent five years there trying to do as little work as possible. <laughs> and that's why I didn't graduate. I hear that. I uh, tried to work my college schedule fairly similarly. Um, you know, well, let's see, what can I take here that will help me graduate, but that uh, won't be too strenuous? Anyway, um, I, I totally understand that. So so you've lived in, including your college years, you've lived in uh, South Dakota your whole life. Yep. All right. You got any brothers and sisters out there? I have two older brothers and a younger sister. All right. You guys all get along? Pretty much. Are they all? Are they all still local as well? Yeah. Um, for some reason, none of us really ventured all that far away from home. Hmm. Well, that's good. Sometimes it, uh, you know, depending on who's involved, being close to, close to family is good. These days, I know it's not a lot like it was, you know, 50, hundred years ago where that almost always happened. People staying close to home, but, uh, it's nice to hear that there's, uh, whenever you hear about a family that all gets along and all lives close to each other. Yeah. And, you know, we have extended family around as well. My dad's sister still lives here. And um, my mom is from a town that's not too terribly far away. And her couple of her brothers still live in that area and uh, cousins and things all over the state. So it's, you know, with the with a few exceptions, a lot of us are still here 
And so it's not hard to see each other when we really want to. Yeah. Well, that's good. So uh, after not graduating from college, uh, what did you do then? Work? Something else? <laughs> um, yeah, I did a few different um, jobs and things. Uh, it, it's kind of funny because I am one of these people that I sort of look at life as being like a series of connected events and you don't always know what's going to uh, lead to something else. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned to you in an email that like I probably am not hosting talking audiobooks today if I didn't break up with a girl in 2011. Yeah, I was wondering and about that. How did how did that uh how did that affect what's going on today? So, okay, to to set that up, I have to go back a little bit further than that. I have to go back to 2002 when I got my first and only guide dog. I went out to California in June slash July of 2002, and I trained in San Rafael at Guide Dogs for the Blind, and I got a guide dog, and I brought her home. And in my class, I met this girl, and we were friends for a while, and then we dated off and on for about six years, from 2005 through the end of 2011 and it was a long distance relationship and it was sort of difficult and we broke up in early 2012 and um, when we broke up I sort of did a reassessment of my life at that point and I kind of realized that I was not anywhere close to being where I wanted to be. I had spent a lot of time sort of waiting for uh, this relationship to fully develop and it never really did and it And I realized that my life had stalled out. And so I decided that I was going to make some changes in my life. And um, when I decided that that's what I was going to do, I contacted some people that I know that work for various agencies that help people who are blind and visually impaired. And I said, you know, there's things I want to do and uh, I want to learn how to cook and just basically be more independent. Well, one of the things that happened as a result of that conversation was I got connected with the Braille and audio reading download service from the uh, Library of Congress. And basically that gives a person access to audio books, some of which are produced commercially and some of which are recorded by people who work for the American Foundation of the Blind or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... um that's sort of when I started to really become a heavy audiobook listener. We're talking about um, 2012 and into 2013. I had a job for a while. I was doing digital conversion of, of documents at the public library. And so I was wearing a headset all day because I was using a screen reader mm. and I didn't want to distract any other employees. I wasn't anywhere near patrons of the library they couldn't hear it but other employees could so i was on headset and i figured hey if i'm on headset all day i can listen to audiobooks and that's sort of when i really became a heavy listener and that led to me starting a blog to cover audiobooks and review audiobooks And starting that blog led me to get newsletters from various people who produce audiobooks, which ultimately got me into contact with uh, 
Ken Joy, who's the producer of Talking Audiobooks. And after a long, winding road, uh, we he ended up asking me if I would host the show in April of last year, and I agreed. So, um, trace the 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 hosting gig back to the breakup and trace the breakup back to getting the guide dog in the first place. But mm-hmm. I also did other, other different jobs. You were asking about that and I don't want to avoid the question. So <laughs> I'll say I had, I had a little vending machine business for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran some vending machines at various federal, uh, agencies like our local post office and federal building and uh, didn't really make a lot of money at that and hated it. Um, I also, with some friends of mine, I started a blog covering uh, combat sports like boxing and mixed martial arts. And uh, we also did professional wrestling. And so we did that for a while and tried to make uh, make a go of that and turn that into a moneymaker. And that didn't really work out. And... Um, you know, I did the digital conversion thing. So I've done a little bit of everything since I left college. Yeah, I guess. pretty pretty varied. I, I like that story, though, about, uh, you know, tracing what you're doing now back to a breakup. I always like hearing about things that, that happen in life. You just, you never know what something is going to bring. And a lot of times something that seems negative at the time and is negative for one reason ends up being positive for another reason later on. So you just never know what's going to happen. Exactly. And it's worth pointing out that the breakup was actually quite painful, but um, we actually end up, ended up being on very good terms after a thawing out period and the cooling down period. So it all worked out pretty well. And um, it continues my string of being very good friends with every woman I've ever dated. Oh, well, that's good. That's uh, very unusual, actually, from my experience and from the experience of most of the other people I've spoken with. So good, yeah, I good try for to you. be a jerk, but it just doesn't work. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> that's great. So that was when you started listening to audiobooks. You, you became a heavy listener, but you had been listening before that. And, and that was primarily due to the visual impairment issue. Yeah, so when I was in school, I had, um, there was actually a school employee, and she was essentially what they would call a Braillist. And what she did was teachers would have, you know, worksheets or whatever, and uh, they would be in print. Well, they would give her the worksheets, and she would um, Braille them up, and then I would uh, fill them out. And then I would give them back to her and she would write my answers in on the print worksheet. And, and that's what my teachers would grade. So that was a lot of her job. And that was before uh, computerized brailing and things like that made it a lot easier. A lot of it had to be uh, done by hand. But one of the other things that she did was she would sometimes record books that had to be read in class for a class assignment if one could not be obtained in Braille or already recorded mm. as an audio book uh, any other way. She did it herself. And I remember she recorded Where the Red Fern Grows when I was in seventh grade. And I think she did Tom Sawyer at one time. And and so, like, these actually were, like, handmade audio books mm-hmm. in, in a sense. But, yeah, so, like, there was a mixture of Braille and there was – a mixture of audiobooks, but I wasn't a really big reader as a kid. I just wasn't 
really ever interested in it beyond what I had to do for school and, you know, book reports and stuff. And I just, I've always hated the concept of book reports and I've just never been a real big fan. And so I, I kind of never really embraced reading until I, I got older and the choices of what to read were mine alone to make. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it for an assignment or anything like that. Right. So, nobody's, yeah. nobody's giving you a reading list that you have to stick to. Exactly. I can listen to whatever I want, whenever I want, and I'm not going to get graded on it. Yeah. Yeah. Not getting graded on it. That's always a plus in just about anything. Well, so you've been listening for, for quite some time, and I'm sure that in that time, especially in the more recent past, you've probably listened to audiobooks in all kinds of genres, both fiction and nonfiction. Uh, I know that you mentioned Where the Red Fern Grows, and I've heard you mention that on your podcast as well, and I know that that was kind of a big one for you. Um, so what are your favorites? What are your favorite genres? Um, is there anything that you really kind of, I mean, aside from Star Wars, cause I know that's a big deal too, but is there anything, any specific genre that you feel like you always keep going back to? Um, it's funny because lately I, I keep track of what I listen to each year and sort of in doing that, I keep track of the different genres that I listen to and how many books fall into each genre. And the last couple of years, my most read genre is mysteries and thrillers. But I actually didn't start reading those until 2014. Hmm. Before that, most of what I listened to was nonfiction. Other than, as you said, Star Wars, most everything else I listened to was nonfiction. And it would either be uh, biographies or history or, you know, some some things on politics or, you know, sports related uh, books covering teams instead of individual players or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and different, different things like that. And um, I didn't really start to become a big fiction reader until uh, 2014. Like I said, other than Star Wars, I just decided that I, I wanted to uh, branch out and, and be a little bit more diverse in my genres. But I was always a heavy nonfiction listener because I love to learn, and I've always been a big learner, and I'm interested in learning how things work and why they work, and I'm interested in theories and ideas. And so uh, I've always just had a large appetite for learning. And so genres of nonfiction have always really appealed to me, I love biographies, especially of sports figures, and I love just anything that'll teach me something that I don't know. I uh, One of my fascinating subjects right now is on big data, so whenever mm. new books come out about big data, I tend to gravitate towards those, because I love to know what we don't know and what we're learning, and, and things like that fascinate me, because, you know... My life, I'm approaching in March, it'll be half of my life I will have had the internet this March. Mm. Until I was a freshman in college, you know, I didn't really have internet access. When I was in high school, we could use the internet, but we had to go to a specific room. We had to go to the internet lab mm-hmm. where they're in class and only for specific assignments. It's not like you could just get on it whenever. That didn't happen for me until I was in college. And so that's the halfway point of my life almost, you know, 
coming up here. And mm-hmm. I just am so fascinated by uh, how that has really transformed pretty much every single aspect of, of our life. And I'd yeah. love to learn about that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, it, it really has. I mean, you're talking about being in school. I didn't have, there was no, you know, internet to speak of. I, I know that it was created back in the, I think the early seventies, late sixties, something like that. But there was no uh, widespread use of the internet when I was in high school or college. And, um, so it's funny now, every once in a while, I will see memes online that have pictures of, um, card catalogs, the, the paper cards that you would actually go to and you'd pull out the drawer and you'd find the title and you'd find out what the number was to go to the shelf. And, uh, and you know, things like, do you remember these or something like that? And it, it kind of cracks me up because hell yeah, I remember that. I used that every time I went into the library and had to look something up. <laughs> yeah. I got carpal tunnel doing digital conversion of one of those. Mm. Oh man. So yeah, I that, remember it. Yeah. That I would, remember that, it. That would be painful. I'm sure. So are there any genres that you simply refuse to listen to have no interest in and wouldn't do it for a job <laughs> or for personal? No, um, I'm not a big romance guy because I don't like to be reminded of what I'm not very good at, <laughs> but, um, I, I had never really listened to, um, romance last year for an interview for the podcast. I listened to my first romance type novel and I, I actually enjoyed it. I'm not saying that it's something that I would go out of my way to listen to again, but if I have to do another interview in that genre, you know, I would have no problem. The one genre that I really had a hard time coming to grips with was historical fiction. Uh. And the reason for that is that I majored in history, and I believe that the real story is good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always had... had uh, a little bit of an issue with historical fiction and things. So I'm trying to get over that, but, uh, it hasn't always been the easiest thing. Yeah, no, I can see that, especially if you're, if you like learning things and you've read a lot of nonfiction about actual historical events, it is a huge, a huge genre though. There are a bunch of people who love it. That's practically all they listen to. Yeah. uh, and, And again, you know, I'm trying to make our podcast more diverse as well. And it, it's sort of vexed me that we don't really cover romance or historical fiction that often. And it's one of those things where I'm really trying to change that if for no other reason than to uh, satisfy the people in my audience who do listen to those works. Cause it can't be just a show that I do because of the books that I like all the time. There's a lot, of it that is that mm-hmm. uh, sometimes by necessity, especially if I need to record something quickly. But um, I do try to open myself up to uh, experiencing as much as I can from from anything. And then I guess the other thing, I probably wouldn't really uh, see myself listening to erotica, but uh, I suppose that's probably a common answer for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is definitely not as common, uh, as regular romance, whether contemporary or more, uh, historical fiction type of thing. But, um, well, yeah, everybody's got their, their likes and to dislikes. each their own. Yeah, exactly. You know. 
So, what about uh, your any religious or political views that you have? How does that how do, how do your beliefs and ideals impact the audiobooks that you choose to listen to, whether for personal interest or specifically because you are the host of an audiobook podcast? Um, that's a great question. The way you you phrased it. Um, the first thing that I do is I try not to let any biases that I have get in the way of talking about a specific book if I think such a book is going to be like a big deal. Mm-hmm. And the example that I have for that is um, <clears throat> I'm not the biggest fan of Hillary Clinton. And I said that on my podcast right before I played an excerpt of what happened. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I told my audience that, you know, I'm not a big fan of hers is because I feel like they should know that. Like, I'm one of those people who I don't really care if the media is biased or not. I would rather them just tell me what their biases are. Yeah, full, full disclosure. Yeah, I would rather – don't pretend that you aren't biased. Just tell me – that you, just tell me how you are mm-hmm. because that way I can calibrate it against my own, you know, against my own research or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I try to inform my, and I, it's not just for politics. I, if I'm talking about a book that's covering, uh, the Oakland Raiders who are my favorite NFL team, I will tell you on the podcast that that's my favorite NFL team. That's why we're talking about this and that's going to frame my opinion of the book somewhat. So I try to, uh, not let that get in the way. And I try to let my, uh, audience know what I, what I think. And as for my own like listening habits, like I, I try to listen to, uh, you know, things that support, my worldview and things that challenge my worldview because I took debate in high school for three and a half years. I was on the varsity debate team for three years. And, um, you know, when you go into a room at a debate tournament on a Saturday morning and the first thing that you have to do is stand up in front of a judge and argue that capital punishment is justified And then after 45 minutes of doing that with an opponent, you have to go and stand in front of a different judge in a different room with a different opponent and say, capital punishment is never justified. (laughs) Then you, you end up with a more nuanced view of the world. I Mm -hmm. think at least I think I did. And so I try not to be sort of a hardliner anyway. Um, You know, I have my, beliefs. I guess, you know, if, if pressed, I would say that I'm probably slightly right of center. Although there are many, many times when I gravitate left of center. And so it really depends on the issues and uh, my own research into them Mm -hmm. as to where I, where I come down. You know, it's one of those things where I don't really like to discuss politics on my social media uh, page because uh, I just don't think it's the best place for nuance. It's not. Facebook? Nope. Yeah. And so, and Twitter, 
even with 280 characters is really bad for nuanced yeah. opinion. Yeah. And I, so a, a comment on a Facebook post, it's a uh, more, more of a hammer. Yeah. So I figure like if I'm going to post something political on Facebook, I have to ask myself, do I really want to spend the time that it would take me to reply to all the comments that I would get if I just said what's on my mind? Mm -hmm. And more often than not, the answer to that is no, I don't want to do that. So I just be quiet, you know, talk about trying to wrangle up my mom's cats when I was house sitting for them <laughs> a couple weeks ago and all the adventures that came with that. I think I would rather respond to those comments because that, my controversial stance there is that dogs are better. <laughs> um, so I'll argue that with people, but you know, what's going on in the country. And, you know, it, it brings me back to an audio book that I read in 2017 is called amusing ourselves to death by Neil Postman, and he uh, argued in the book, and the book came out in the 80s, like 85, and he argued that, you know, television isn't necessarily the best place to discuss politics either, because he says, take the example of a presidential debate where you have these candidates up on stage, and they're asked, okay, what is your China policy? You have 90 seconds. Well, that's a complicated issue, and it's hard to distill a policy down to 90 seconds. It is. And basically, his argument was that the people, the, and keep in mind, he wrote this in the 80s, but he said that, you know, the people that are going to get elected in the future are going to be the ones that know how to master the soundbite. Mm. And how true like, that I has read, proven. Yeah. I read this book because a political science professor uh, that I had in college used it sort of to explain how Donald Trump got elected. Mm-hmm. And I, I said on Facebook about the last election, I said, the best thing about this election is going to be that someone's going to write a tremendous book about it, and then I'm going to be able to listen to it. <laughs> that was my positive um, outcome on that. And as for religious beliefs, while I am a Christian, I don't typically let that guide me one way or the other in terms of what I'll talk about on the podcast. Like I said, I'll talk about uh, anything if it's newsworthy. And Hillary Clinton's book was newsworthy. Whether or not I'm a fan or not is irrelevant Mm -hmm. to the fact that that was a very newsworthy book, and I wanted to play an excerpt of it on the podcast. And I would do that for other politicians. It's not like I'm picking on her. I just listened to a book not too long ago that was a behind-the-scenes look at her campaign from the start of it through the primaries through the general election. And while I can't say that it made me like her anymore. It did make me respect her more. So, so, uh, you know, it, it really, um, I do like to think that I have an open mind. Other people might not think that I do, but I really do try to, uh, put that all aside and let people know what's coming out, whether or not it appeals to me personally or not. And, Uh, If it does or if it doesn't, I try to let them know that as well so that they can calibrate their thoughts 
against what I've told them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I like the way that you put it, that you like to listen to things that agree with your worldview and you like to listen to things that challenge your worldview. I think that's a good way to give yourself a, a nice, well-rounded view of things. I, I would say so. You know, it's it all goes back to debate. That was the best class I ever took. Yeah. <laughs> so as an avid audiobook listener, what would you share with narrators who are joining us here in the audiobook speakeasy is the number one most important thing they can do to ensure that you will enjoy listening to their performance? You know, that's a really good question because I have a hard time evaluating narrator performances when I listen to nonfiction. It's easier for me to uh, review a narrator's performance when they're narrating fiction. And it's easier for me to review the author's work when it's nonfiction. I have I can't really deconstruct stories so well, but I can deconstruct arguments very well. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy for me to talk about the author's argument in a work of nonfiction. And it's very easy for me to talk about what the narrator is doing in fiction, because in, in fiction, you have descriptive words like stressed or, you know, angry or, you know, whatever. And they, those do appear in nonfiction as well. But you have these cues for how characters are supposed to be reacting at any given point in the story mm-hmm. and whether or not I can hear that, uh, very well is um, what I'm looking for when I'm grading a, a narrator's performance in in fiction. I have to say that I think that we're very blessed right now. I think the the quality of narration that is out there in a general is very, very good. I'm sure that there are a lot of listeners today that will be very happy to hear you say that. Yeah, I actually think that we're in the sweet spot of of audiobook narration because it's been around long enough that people have figured out what they uh, want and what works. You know, I was talking about that untold story of the talking book, and one thing that the author mentions in that is that early audiobook listeners did not want acting. They just wanted a straight reading. Their argument was, I will visualize it in my head. I don't need you to interpret it for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a debate that raged early on. And it still sort of existed for a while. But as the commercial market has sort of taken over, uh, it's harder to find good works that are narrated in that way. Mm-hmm. And it's not what your general audience is going to want. No, I would say it's not what just about anybody expects anymore. I, I find that fascinating. I've said many times in the recent past that uh, I look forward to seeing what the audiobook world looks like 10 and 20 years from now, because I expect that it's going to look a lot different. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say, you know, is don't be afraid to take a pause. Hmm. <laughs> Um, I mentioned Amusing Ourselves to Death, and uh, that book, um, I enjoyed the text, and I even enjoyed the narration except for the fact that it sounded like one long run-on sentence. Mm, And I don't read reviews until after I've read the book. So I was curious when I finished the book if other people noticed the same thing that I did. So when I started to 
go and look at the reviews, lots of people commented on how fast it was being read. And Interesting. it was like the narrator had to be somewhere in an hour. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was, it was a four hour book that probably could have been closer to five and a half or something, you know? Hmm. Uh, so the other thing that I sort of, for some reason, I notice this a lot when it happens and, Thankfully, it doesn't really happen with the very best narrators, but um, be careful with your breathing. Um, it can be real distracting to hear on a track someone sucking in air like they're drinking in all the air in the world mm-hmm. or like they're taking their last breath and so they want to make it count. I've heard, I've heard that on tracks, and when I hear people gulping in air – I have ears that when I hear that, I can't not hear it. Mm-hmm. I can't not hear that for the rest of the book. So, um, you know, a little puff of air or, you know, if you're reading something where you're out of breath, that's that's fine. Uh, breathing on the track isn't altogether bad. But when you're like gulping it down and you can hear that giant inhale and sucking in, that's really distracting. So. Um, that's one thing that I don't necessarily look for it, but for some reason, when it does happen, I tend to almost always hear it. Yeah. Now that, that's a topic that comes up frequently in uh, discussion groups online. And, uh, my experience and the advice that I have heard that I think rings the most true for me is learn how to breathe properly and breathing won't be a problem because you won't do the big... <gasps> right before a, a sentence. And, and I think that yeah. that's primarily what you're describing is where somebody's yep. doing, somebody's speaking and speaking and speaking, and then they get to the end of the sentence and then they start yep. the next paragraph. And, and that is very, very distracting. But if you learn proper breathing in that same amount of time, you can, you can take a breath that you don't even have to edit and nobody will mind that that breath is there. Right. And another thing, I guess that I always feel sorry for narrators when it comes to narrating opposite sex voices, particularly, uh, particularly men doing women. I think that must be like incredibly hard to get right. Cause it would be so easy to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And a lot of temptation is for, for men when they narrate women, they pitch their voice up and then it, it sounds really whiny. Mm-hmm. And, that's just, I listened to a book where that sort of happened and, uh, I wanted the female character dead <laughs> because I was tired of hearing her whine all the time. And it was yeah. because that's how it was being narrated. I think women and, you know, when you're on my podcast, we could talk about this a little bit more, but I think women probably have the advantage when it comes to narrating opposite sex characters because, deepening the voice isn't nearly as distracting as pitching it up in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's just one of those things where I could see it being a real thing to consider is how am I going to uh, narrate these opposite sex voices? Yeah, that comes up quite a bit too. And, uh, I would say that of the audiobooks that I've listened to, the most successful attempts of male narrators doing female voices is to really not change the pitch all that much at all. I've, I've heard great audiobooks where, yeah, I knew it was a woman speaking. It was just a little bit higher, just maybe the tiniest bit breathier. 
just uh, something very slightly different, but not extreme. And I think that that's true of women doing male voices as well. Just, yeah. just my opinion, but it seems like the, the best ones are where it's just a little bit lower, just a little bit throatier or, or gravelly or something like that, just a little bit. And I think that the, the more extreme you go, the more difficult it is to find it believable, even though that's the, uh, that's the reason that it's being done that way is because the narrator wants to, to be believable. And, and unfortunately, I think it often has the opposite effect. Absolutely. Yeah. So are there any aspects of audiobook production other than the narrator's performance that affect how you feel about the audiobook? No, I I don't think so. I mean, there's there's always a question of like our music and sound effects, okay? Yeah, that was the big thing and, I was thinking of there. And I don't I can take them or leave them. You know, like uh, Star Wars has a lot of them. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's throughout the whole text. There's there's certain books that I listen to where they'll have sound effects in certain spots and music in certain spots, but not throughout. And and that can sometimes be a little bit distracting because I you you find yourself wondering, okay, there's a gunshot sound effect here, but not there. Why was that? And it's something that I don't really want to have to wonder about. So it's like, for me, if you're going to do it, just go for it. But Mm -hmm. if you're not going to do it, then it's kind of like an either or. Like, there is no middle ground for me. Yeah, it's all about consistency. But like I said, I I can take them or leave them. They don't bother me because being visually impaired... Like I, I listen to TV more than I watch it mm-hmm. and more than I ever watched it. So like it, it, it's, they're always present there. So they don't bother me in audiobooks. I, I know why they bother some people in audiobooks, and I, I understand and things like that, but I, I don't have a problem with it if it's well done. And that's, that's the most important thing for me is if it's going to be there, uh, it has to be well done. I'm also interested in where chapter stops get placed sometimes. It doesn't make me enjoy a book any less, but um, I like being able to uh, access a book uh, very easily, especially when I'm listening to it on iTunes. And sometimes when I use my keyboard on iTunes, it'll jump me back to the beginning of the book and I'll have to refine my place. Uh, and that's not always easy. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big fan of iTunes for a lot of different reasons. And that's <laughs> one of them. But like, I, I, I pay attention to it. It doesn't affect how I would grade a book, but, uh, it is, it is something that I do kind of notice. All right. So what do you see talking audiobooks going in the future? So I've been thinking about this since pretty much the day that we started the podcast, and I've spoken to a lot of people about this. But the way I look at podcasts right now is that the the podcasts that do the best, that maybe aren't associated with a big name already, like I just started listening to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast because I 
uh, enjoyed listening to him on other podcasts, and I recently read like four of his five books. So, like, he he has an advantage because of his name. He can promote uh, a singular podcast with no problem. But I think that podcasts are headed in the direction of, instead of single podcasts, I think we're headed to an already sort of in the era of a podcast network where you can subscribe to multiple podcasts on the same feed. And to give you an example, just as a hypothetical, suppose that you and I got together and we got the audio shelf guys and we got uh, Jock from audio flow. Mm-hmm. We decided that we were going to have the audiobooks podcasting network and we had all of our shows. They still had their own individual feeds, but we all contributed them to a singular feed that people could subscribe to this one feed and get all the shows, or they could still subscribe to the individual feeds and, and get the same show you know, that they mm-hmm. always got. But if you had this podcast feed with all those different shows on it, you could go to advertisers and you could say, well, you know, on Mondays, we have the audiobook speakeasy. And on Tuesday, there's audio shelf. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, there's audio flow. On Thursday, there's talking audiobooks. And maybe you find another one and you, and you, uh, you complete the week and, and say, you know, instead of just advertising on this one podcast, you could advertise on four or five of them. And the advantage to listeners of a podcast network are, they can get similarly themed shows all in one spot. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where podcasts are going. Like if you're familiar with like services like podcast one yep. or audio boom or different things like that, that, you know, there's, there's a sports podcast called the locked on network where, uh, they have a, a network of podcasts, one for every NFL team, one for pretty much every NBA team. And they're all loosely affiliated with one another and mm-hmm. they all sort of uh, go together. And that's kind of the big thing that I see happening. And that's what I would like to do mm-hmm. eventually with talking audiobooks is to sort of branch it out into uh, a podcast network and sort of give people who love audiobooks and love audiobook podcasts. Uh, one place to go to get a lot of different content because that would make up for my deficiencies in the areas of like romance where I don't really talk about it. But if we had another show on the same feed that did talk about that, then people could get the best of all worlds in one spot. And so that's kind of what I am planning and hoping, but that also takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of time to, to sort of figure out the logistics of how to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think if we could eventually get to the point where we offered a lot of different shows hosted by different personalities, so it's not just me, uh, I think that would be the real future of talking audiobooks and, and it really taking off and going to another level. And uh, I'm a very big collaborative person and I, and I, uh, look for ways to work with other people when best we can and do different promotional things. And, you know, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more in a second with 
this interview and you and me and my podcast. So yeah, no, like, it makes a lot of sense. I know that podcast one is big. One of the, one of the podcasts that I listened to, uh, recently moved to podcast one. In fact, he moved from Texas to LA, switched to podcast one all at the same time. And it seems to be going really well. It also, everything that you've described, makes me think a lot of Leo Laporte. I've been listening to his tech guy podcast on all things technology for years now, um, probably six or eight or years or, or maybe longer. And, uh, he has his own network and I think he's got something like 30 shows uh, that are all technology based. They've got a, a show that's specifically for Mac users, a show that's specifically for Windows users. His show is about all, it's a call-in show where people have call in with questions of all kinds for all different operating systems. There's a security show, all kinds of different things, but it's all centered around technology and how it affects people today, real time. So everything that you said sounds, uh, sounds totally reasonable. And it does seem like a lot of places are going that way. Yeah. And, you know, otherwise, um, you know, we just hopefully by the time people hear this, we will have our app available for the show. And we're hoping to do a lot of fun things with that. And a new newly designed or redesigned website is also just been unveiled. And so we have a lot of different things uh, going on. The more immediate future is this season, I'm going to do more interviews than I than I did last season. And yep. so um, there's lots of things that are in the more short term that we're doing as well that I think are really going to uh, make for a, a much better show in season three. Not that I didn't think season two was a, a good season. Um, if you haven't heard our podcast before, I would say that my favorite episode from season two was our Thanksgiving episode where we did a contest and we said, tell us why you're thankful for audiobooks. And we read all these entries on the air. We had like four dozen entries that we got into this thing. And it was people uh, listing all the reasons why they were thankful that audiobooks are a thing, why, why they're thankful to have them. And uh, it's my favorite thing that we did and it's going to be a, a yearly tradition. We had so much fun recording that one and got a lot of great responses, you know, things that people, maybe they think about them, maybe they don't. But, you know, like a lot of people were saying, I'm thankful for audiobooks because I had a health issue that made reading hard. Or, you know, I'm thankful for audiobooks because I can listen to them while I'm nursing my child mm. and, and taking them around in the car or whatever, you know, we had all these different responses. You know, we heard from the commuters, we heard from the multitaskers, we heard from the visually impaired, you know, we heard from people with other health issues and just all these different things that made it really uh, a fantastic show. So if I'm going to plug a singular episode from season two, we had great interviews. Of course, we had Sean Pratt on, and he was absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. And as you well know, oh yeah, uh, <laughs> Sean's great. Yeah, and 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 lots of different things. And um, but that one was a highlight. And and this year we're going to do more interviews. So that's sort of the more uh, immediate future. Well, that's great. I'm I'm glad to hear that that Thanksgiving one was uh, so 
so good and and it sounds like so gratifying, not just for you, but for all of those of us out here who create audiobooks or have a hand in creating audiobooks. It's always great to hear that what you're doing is not just making a living for you. It's also actually helping somebody in some way, even if it's a small way, you know, even if it's just that, well, I used to hate my commute to work and now I hate it a little bit less. You know, I mean, even if it's just a small way, it's nice to know that you're actually making somebody's life a little bit better. Right. If you're an audiobook narrator out there listening to this, and or if you're an engineer or you're working in the industry in some other capacity and you're having a bad day and you're not sure why you're doing what you're doing, go listen to our Thanksgiving episode and you'll hear from lots of different people that have really amazing stories to tell about what audiobooks have done for them. And it'll definitely lift your spirits. That was our most popular episode. And I, you know, I had high hopes for it going in and uh, it did not disappoint. And so uh, I, I do recommend that one to everybody. Yeah, no, that's great. So, uh, Casey, what are you doing when you're not recording podcast episodes, whether you're listening to an audiobook while you're doing it or not? Listening to audiobooks quite a bit. Um, I, I don't watch as much TV as I used to, but when I do watch TV, I tend to really watch TV. Like, I'll get into TV watching hardcore for like, uh, you know, a week. Mm-hmm. I'll binge whatever whatever shows i'm a fan of old sitcoms my my -hmm. brother when i was younger uh and i was in my 20s when he said this so it was 2003 i think he's he says to me one day he says um you were born 30 years too late (laughs) because i was watching rocky and bullwinkle ah oh classic classic yeah i love i love that I love the humor of Rocky and Bullwinkle. So creative. So, so fast paced. I mean, it was, it was just boom in your face the whole time. Yeah. And it was one of those things where, you know, there was humor for kids, but it, some of the humor that was in there flew right over the kids' heads, but landed square with the adults. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that sweet spot to try to, to try to reach, I think. So Yeah, and the voice um, acting was amazing. I mean, June Foray oh, yeah. and, and Paul Freeze, how can you go wrong? Paul Freeze is tremendous. Boris Badenoff makes me laugh so hard. Oh yeah. And, you know, like June Foray legend, absolute, you know, pinnacle of of the industry. Yeah. And so like, you know, T V a little bit. It's hard for me sometimes because I have a I have a condition called non-24, which means that uh, my sleep schedule can be fairly erratic at times, hmm. and it's hard to stay consistent. And like, if I go to bed at 11 p.m. every night regularly, I can do that. But if one night I go to bed at 11, and the next night I go to bed at 11:15. Before I know it, it's three weeks later and I have a 3 a.m. bedtime. (laughs) And then it's four weeks after that and it's an 8 a.m. bedtime. And it circles around until it gets back to 11 again. And every time it gets back to 11, I think, okay, this time I'm going to work really hard to maintain this as long as I can. Mm -hmm. And I always fail. I'm not sure that I know anybody who could 
live with that. <laughs> that that sounds really difficult. Well, it's better than when I had insomnia and didn't sleep for days. Like, oh, yeah, that's not. Uh, good and at and all. I took took Ambien. I have a lot of a lot of Ambien stories that I could tell on mm. on any number of different podcasts, but <laughs> um, it, it, it's a lot better now. So you know, being up at like being awake at like 3 a.m. on one day uh, means that I'm maybe not doing things that I would be doing if I was awake at 3 p.m. Sure. On a on another day, it's really hard for me. And that, but that's why that's why I like what I'm doing so much because I can record my podcast at three in the morning if I want to. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's sometimes preferable to do that because there's not going to be any construction outside my window. There's not going to be anybody knocking on my door. There's not going to be anybody calling me. I'm not likely to get interrupted. So there are certain things that I can do to take advantage of being awake at odd hours and uh, things like that. But other than, you know, the occasional TV show – I'm a big sports fan. I love basketball and football and baseball, especially. And you know, I'm I'm an audio fan first and foremost. I love baseball on the radio. Um, it, it's better than television, in my opinion. And I know that in the in the final episode of season two of um, Talking Audiobooks, I know that you played a clip of Scott Brick um, narrating. I can't remember the name of the book now, but Moneyball. Uh, yeah, yeah, Moneyball. That was it. And, um, and that was, uh, that was really interesting. Now I am not a, a sports guy. Uh, oh, it's a sport ball thing. Yeah. Is that one of those, um, football things or baseball things? Or, I mean, I've, I've been to a few games and actually I will say that I used to go see the sharks every once in a while in San Jose. And that was a lot of fun. It was great entertainment, but I don't, I've never followed any sport so that I would know players' names on different teams or how different teams were doing or anything like that. And I got to say that that narration by um, by Scott Brick of Moneyball was really quite compelling. It was it was it seemed like it really told an interesting story. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. That book has gotten a lot of accolades and well deserved. Obviously, it was made into a movie a few years ago, starring Brad Pitt. And um, you know, it's interesting because I used to follow everything in sports. Like I used to follow my own favorite teams and I used to follow the rest of the the leagues and things like that. But now I really only pay attention to my teams. And if my teams aren't playing, I don't care. And I follow them through articles on websites and podcasts now. You know, so like the whole podcast industry has sort of changed how you can follow uh, your own team so closely. And it's really that way for any subject that you could pretty much imagine. You mentioned Leo Laporte and tech, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, the, if you are a fan of a, of a subject matter, there's probably a podcast about it. Yep. And if there's not a podcast about it, there is a website. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So I'm, as I said, I'm not a, a sports fan, but as I recall, there aren't any teams in South Dakota. So who are your teams? My teams, much to my dad's chagrin when he was alive, um, we we did not agree on any uh, pro sports teams because he liked all the ones from Minnesota because they were the closest. Ah. And I 
didn't because I didn't accept the fact that you had to like the closest teams as a requirement. <laughs> so I, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, the Oakland Raiders are my favorite football team. And part of the reason for that is because when I was a child, there was a video game for the Nintendo called Tecmo Bowl. And they had the best Tecmo Bowl player, Bo Jackson, who would do all these crazy things on this video game. Like you could run him back to one end of the field and then run him to the other end of the field. And he would go untouched without anybody even coming close to tackling him. Hmm. And so I would play as them all the time. And that sort of became how they became my favorite team. (laughs) And that was back when I still had vision in my left eye. I, I was a video game player. Um, and then my favorite basketball team is the Los Angeles Lakers because I love Magic Johnson. Yeah. And um, my favorite baseball team is the Atlanta Braves, and they became my favorite baseball team because I love professional wrestling. And I used to watch professional wrestling on Saturdays, and during baseball season – the Braves would either be on before wrestling or after wrestling. And sometimes if they were on before wrestling, wrestling would not start until the game was over. And so I just sort of ended up watching them so much that they became my favorite teams. And those are really my three favorite teams. I do like hockey a little bit. I, I follow the the Colorado Avalanche, but I'm not really a super big hockey fan. Um, and then I love, you know, Olympics the summer Olympics. I'm a real big fan of those. Yeah. Most of the sports fans that I know, uh, love the Olympics. Whereas I, the Olympics for me are kind of like, well, I I can sort of take them or leave them. I I do like seeing really good performances in anything. And so seeing the Olympics is, is really kind of fun because you're seeing really talented people. You know, you're seeing people who are really far and away the, well, probably about the best in their field depending on what the field is and all the politics that go into it. Um, and, and so I really enjoy seeing that, but in terms of following it, I just, I've just never right. been one to follow sports. That, that's really interesting about the big... Atlanta Braves though, that, uh, that through some quirk of fate, a programming executive who decided to put the Atlanta Braves on before or after professional wrestling ended up making an Atlanta Braves fan. <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, I, I also enjoy, I enjoy going to, uh, the, the theater, like, um, I love community theater. Oh, great. And, um, you know, the problem with it is that I don't like to do the, a lot of activities by myself. And that's one that I really don't like to do by myself because I like going to a play and then talking about it afterwards with someone. And so I like to be able to go with people, but none of my friends are really big fans of theater. Oh uh, yeah, that makes it which tough. is a real drag for me. And also, where I live, it's community theater. It's not really much. There's not really uh, a lot of opportunities. Maybe two or three a year for me to go see a play where I live. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I became a fan uh, when I was in college, really of 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 going to, uh, plays. Cause I had to, I had to go to a couple f- for, uh, a class that I was in and I really just, I really took to it. And That's I really, great. even though I can't see what's going on, 
Um, I really do. I really do uh, enjoy it. Comedies, especially. I love to laugh. I love, you know, stand up and things like that. But anything that can make me laugh is a bonus. I love to try to make other people laugh. Some people tell me that I'm occasionally funny. <laughs> uh, so, you know, lots of lots of that kinds of stuff. And I go to the movies a few times a few times a, a year. Um, you know, maybe some of your listeners out there who are narrators have done audio description uh, projects as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly possible. I am one of the people that listens to those when I go to the theater because uh, they fill in the gaps of what I can't pick out from dialogue. That that's great. So I, that is actually that, that's actually something that I have done. And when I was back in the Bay Area for a uh, company called Visual Voice, and we would do live audio description of stage plays, and it was really interesting work for me as an actor being on that side of it, having to put in descriptions in between the dialogue, because of course you don't want to step on the dialogue. You want the the listener, the, the viewer who can't see what's happening. You want them to be able to hear the dialogue as it's happening, but um, to have the responsibility to describe things in as full a way as possible in a limited period of time was, um, it, it was quite an art and the, the, I know the guy who, who owns the company and he was very, very good at it. I did it, I think, uh, twice, if I remember correctly. Um, and it was, it was very demanding work and it was so great to talk to the people who had been listening after the performance and hear from them that they were happy about the fact that, that, that service was available. I, it it has definitely made me, uh, a more frequent theater goer now uh, that it's available where I live and that I can just grab a headset when I go into the theater and yeah, that's great. Uh, put it on and listen to someone fill in the gaps of whatever movie I'm, I'm watching. So there's a lot of different things. Uh, I just like to spend time with friends and family and look for Miss Wright. I haven't found her yet, <laughs> but if she's out there, She's out there listening, you know, Rich. You, your podcast could bring people together. There you go. You never know. I'm I'd just be, saying. I'd be happy to be a matchmaker. We don't know if she's out there or not. Nope. <laughs> be happy to be a matchmaker, Casey. So where can people find you online? I am on Twitter at Audiobook Casey. That is my um, show account that I have for the podcast. Um, I pretty much just talk about the audiobook stuff there. Uh, I talk about my personal life and my uh, interests that aren't audiobook related, uh, not so much politics, but anything else on my other Twitter account, which is at Casey, C A S E Y, in Sodak, S O D A K. Um, I'm also on Goodreads. And uh, that is also at Audiobook Casey on Goodreads, all one word, Audiobook C-A-S-C-Y. And I'm happy to connect with fellow uh, readers and fellow enthusiasts of audiobooks. Um, And, of course, TalkingAudiobooks.com is our website and where you can go and you can listen to my podcast. And, uh, you know, as I sit here – our next episode on the 26th of January 
we're going to have an interview with some guy named Rich Miller. Do you know him? That's me. I've heard of him. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. He's <laughs> going to come on my show. We're doing a crossover, people. It's, you know, like when um, when Sam Malone went to Frasier. Sam Malone went, you know, he showed up on Frasier and it was a Cheers Frasier reunion. That's kind of what we got going on here with the audiobook speakeasy and talking audiobooks this week. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Rich asked me, asked the question, Rich asked me the questions today and I get to ask him the questions on the 26th. That's right. And I'll, I'll be happy to give you the, the narrators and fellow podcasters view on things. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm so happy to come on here with you today. Um, You told me about this project in the summer, and when you did, I was immediately excited um, because I have a a fondness for the Depression era and for the Prohibition era. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite eras of history for some reason, and like Prohibition fascinates me because – as, as a high school teacher of mine pointed out, one of the big problems with prohibition was that the amendment said that it prohibited the, the sale and m- distribution and manufacturing of, of alcohol and whatever, mm-hmm. but it, it, it didn't say anything about drinking it. All right. <laughs> so um, it's just one of those things of – like that's a good example to me of the law of un- unintended consequences. Yep. Uh, like when you pass a law and you don't really know the full impact that it's going to have, which mm-hmm. um, if we did, I think maybe fewer laws would be passed these sure. days. But yeah. um, prohibition, I, I'm sure that a lot of what happened was not foreseen. Some of it was predicted that this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it, uh, they weren't prepared for and they hadn't really thought about. Right. And that's just one of those things. Like I'm, like I said, I'm a big learner and big fan of mechanics of how things work and why they fail sometimes. And sure, things like yeah. that. So, and so I was, you know, very excited. And then I listened to your show and, uh, I love the music, you know, it, it fits so perfectly and um, I just like a really big fan of what's going on over here and happy to help promote other podcasts as well as my own. And I, cause I, you know, I was talking to somebody about this and they were like, well, aren't, aren't you, aren't you competing because you're, you're both talking about audiobooks and you, you might have the same guests on it certain points aren't you aren't you like in at least a little bit of competition and i said no i said when you have a podcast and and you have something that is on demand entertainment there is no such thing as competition because you can listen to the audiobook speakeasy and then listen to talking audiobooks the next day or one right after the other, and it doesn't really make any difference. It's not like in the old days when you had three channels of TV and no way to record the show on the other channel. Right. And you had to pick one show and miss another show entirely. Yeah. Podcasting is a different deal. It is, and, and, so, and I, I've thought about that competition thing, and and I don't really, I don't really see that as a problem. I think that we all have those of us who are in this space are doing. Um, 
slightly different things, uh, different enough to where there there really isn't a competition in that sense. And there is some crossover. Like you said, you had Sean Pratt on, as did I. And he's been on other podcasts as well that aren't just devoted to audiobooks. Um, but I don't really see that as a problem. I, I think that because of the different uh, focus that you have compared to what I do and compared to what Jock does um, and anything else out there, I felt pretty comfortable going into the space with the specific idea that I had about audiobook production as opposed to, <clears throat> excuse me, as opposed to listening to audiobooks or talking only to narrators or wh whatever it may be. Um, and so I don't really see it as a uh, competition. I see it more as complimentary. So I think it's right. great. I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to, uh, to make it onto the show and I look forward to talking to you on yours. Yeah. And we'll have to do this again. One of these days, hopefully I'll be entertaining enough that people who listen to this will want to hear from me again. Oh, I'm sure that's true, Casey. But thanks again for, uh, for stopping by. I really, uh, really appreciate the fact that you took time out of your schedule and I, uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. You kept me from having to go outside. So. <laughs> That's a plus. I hope that the uh, hot chocolate was good too. My, it, my, it was. my daiquiri was perfect for tonight in the, uh, 75 degree Tucson heat. It was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Casey. Take care. All right. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Casey Trowbridge for stopping by. Be sure to visit TalkingAudiobooks.com and check out his podcast. You might just hear me. You can find the audiobook speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at RichVoiceProductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, a place where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. A quick shout out to Jennifer Swanepoel, who left a review on iTunes recently. Jennifer, I'm really glad you're getting a lot out of our chats here in the speakeasy. I hope you keep listening. I've got a lot of great guests lined up. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you could visit patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy and donate a buck or two. Until we see you here at the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!